You're listening to a Rare Drop podcast. Check us out at raredrop.co. Hello, everyone. I know you've been waiting for a very long time to be involved with all of the amazing things that we're doing at Rare Drop, and now is the time. We are introducing the Rare Drop Patreon, so if you've ever wanted to get involved with experimental content or being at any of our podcasts early to listen in, well, all of that is available in the new Rare Drop Patreon. Check it out. Hello, everybody. How are you? Thank you for tuning in. Hi, hi. Welcome to Broman Podcast episode 130. Uh, today, our guest is Tanya DePass, founder. I will say, I'll say award-winning uh, founder and director <laughs> of I Need Diverse Games, as well as an absolutely prolific tabletop gamer uh, and creative director and board member of OrcaCon. Right? Correct? Uh, OrcaCon and Take This. And Take uh, This. Which, yeah, that just happened last Friday. Uh, we can freely talk about it, but the, the like official from Take This announcement has not taken place. Yeah. So there's, the, the, it, it, you, you do so many things. It was, it was, um, it was really amazing kind of seeing all of the, the different places that you create. Um, and so it, it made me, it made me really curious, you know, when you got started with content creation or what drew you into that and then how it sort of ended like at this point with all of the different places that you're interacting with and, and all the different places that you're creating and, and kind of like what like what that path was for you um, to, to be involved in so much, because oh usually people get like really specialized. Um, but it, it, and so it's kind of rare to find somebody who's doing a ton of stuff all the time. And it seems like that's exactly where you're at. So I I'm super curious about, you know, what that what that journey was like for you. Oh, boy, um, well, I've been gaming forever. You know, I, I played D&D Redbox. I, you know, I am arcade years old. I, you know, played Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat when they were the era when we started to put quarters and tokens up on the glass to get your turn. And, um, you know, just love of games my whole life. And then um, for content creation, you know, I'd always written like fan fiction. I'd done other stuff. But then in terms of Twitch, uh, saw friends streaming, uh, Simply Andrea, who doesn't stream anymore. She's doing voice acting and stuff now. Uh, formerly UGR Gaming. Now I am Brandon. And uh, watched them stream and do a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, maybe I could try this. And then the PlayStation 4 came out and Dragon Age Inquisition came out. I'm a big Dragon Age nerd. And I was like, I'll see if I like streaming and also share this game that I love with people. And went from streaming on my console to now being a not quite part-time, not quite full-time uh, partner variety caster and doing a whole lot of stuff. Um, but, you know, in parallel with that, I Need Diverse Games is kind of getting larger. People are taking notice. I got to do a lot of writing. I got to do a lot of panel um, appearances. And as some people wanted diversity consultants, they realized that this is important. And so I was getting pulled in like, hey, we're making a character or do you even do this kind of work? And other people are doing this kind of work. Um, and so it went from, oh, I've got a little script to I've now read the script of some AAA games that are not yet out yet. And I'm giving them feedback like from day zero um, and now also making my own tabletop game. So, yeah, which is. It's it's wild. That, so how what is what is it? I guess like what sparked the I want to make my own tabletop game. Like what was like? 
what was, um, the, what was the moment there where you were like, yes, this is this is it? Uh, so for Into the Motherlands, because um, I've been talking to Twitch and kind of trying to pitch some ideas. And I, I came up with like three ideas, one of which was like, let's do a new D&D show, but all POC based on the new content. At least at that time, Rhyme of the Frostbane was going to be new. Um, I want to do Star Trek again. I GM'd a Star Trek game for a few episodes for Roll20 back in the day. And I'm a big sci-fi nerd. And I tried to get some attention on uh, the, the Twitch channel of my organization, which has a Sunday night show. And they're like, well, you know, there's plenty of fantasy. Um, there were concerns about IP with Star Trek. So that just kind of was thrown out immediately. But they're like, in terms of fantasy and D&D, you could like throw a rock and hit any number of D&D shows. So what about sci-fi, but your own story? And I was like, uh, sure. And, you know, I'd always wanted to be a writer. I'd always wanted to be, I'd always wanted to publish my own books, things like that. Um, but life didn't go that way. And they were like, you know, think about it. If there's a story you want to tell, you know, let's talk about it and what we can do and make this happen. Um, I, I went back, thought about it. I was like, okay, well, what about, a, I could come up with a story and then we went back and forth, came up with our parameters, you know, like our timetable, our budget. And then um, B. Dave Walters, who is our lead developer, Dave and I are, are, are good friends. And he said he wanted to be involved regardless. I said, okay, here's the deal. Here's our budget. Here's our timeline. Do you think we can do it? And we threw ideas back and forth to see what we could make stick. And we came up with the idea of a Descendants of Mansa Musa, who was an emperor in the 13th century, that actually did send a group to the Americas that never made it. And he's like, it's a historical fact that they never made it there, but what if they somehow timey-wimey wave hands got to this planet that we create and these people that we are talking about now, it's like two, 3,000 years after these descendants arrived. And our story takes place from there. And we then looked at a calendar and went, oh, oh boy, we don't have a lot of time. So we we had uh, recruited our, our, our folks. We had ama- we have amazing creators um, Jasmine Bular, that bronze girl, Gabe James Games, uh, who else? Um, wow, I'm blanking out because there's like 14 people involved. And, you know, I said, okay, here's the deal. This is our, these are our options. Can you, can we get enough written so we could at least start the stream? Uh, hmm. Pulled in uh, Pleasantly Twisted, Vanessa, and said, okay, I want, I want your art because our crew is all black and POC. And, you know, the only sticking point then was our system because everyone knows D&D. They know roll a D20. And uh, luckily, B. Dave has a good relationship with fandom. And he went to them, uh, said, hey, let us be your flagship for Cortex Prime, which is a dice pool system. And we'll use that. That way we didn't have to make a system from scratch because we did. Motherlands may not have happened by now because writing dice mechanics is hard. <laughs> um Oh, okay. So I was going to ask about what it will like, like the creation process, right? First of all, I like the, the, I love the theme, like the, like the initial, like that's, that's really cool. Um, and, and so like, what, but what is it like? Like, so you have to write the story and then like, do you have to also like consider writing encounters and then like how the dice rules were like, how do you, how do you take all of these like systems and make them play together? Um, so the way we did it, cause Dave often likens it to that Wallace and Gromit gif of him on the train, but putting the tracks in front of you. That's kind of how we felt because okay. we had to have yeah. enough of the world building done to tell a story and to have something for our players and our cast and our storyteller to go back and refer to. 
all the while knowing that, yes, we're writing part of this to be streamed, but the other part was always we're going to put out a setting book. So we we got our setting together. We got our cultures together because we steered, we want to steer away from the old D&D things of like race, racial bonuses, things like that. Um, so we have cultures, we have professions instead of jobs. And, and so we said, okay, Jasmine is writing the adventure that will stream. And, you know, we needed, we needed at least enough in hand to do like the first three episodes. And because it's all new, because no one's seen it, we actually did our session zero, which is our character creation on stream as part of our, our 12 episodes. And... It was interesting because people will backseat anything on Twitch, even if they know nothing about it, <laughs> we discovered. Um, but, you know, we mm -hmm. had our world. We had the very core of what we were going to show on the stream. And that was getting fleshed out as we each week as we did things. Things our characters did are now canon. And we just had free reign of here's this world. We're building it. And things that you and your character do will become canon in this world. So it's not like D&D &D where you or I just get a rule book. We get a character sheet and we play. So we need to have world building. We had to have our characters. And then we got the source material from fandom on how Cortex works. And then it was just learning it because it was different than other dice systems that most of us knew. Um, and then it was, here's your character. Here's the situation. And let's run with it. And as you know, since you have now played D&D, &D, yeah. the dice may do a whole different thing than what you're trying to do. So uh, yeah, um, my, uh, yeah, yeah. I had a I had a party member uh try to use a crossbow while they were like holding onto a wall and they just like fell twenty feet and knocked themselves unconscious. That that wasn't a roll. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, our our DM it was our it was a lot of our first time and so our DM was like, is that what you want to do? You want to let go? You want to use both your hands when you're holding on the wall and you want to use your crossbow? And they're like, yeah. He goes, okay. You fell on the ground. And uh, let's see, I think I had a critical fail where I accidentally, no, I almost got killed by a teammate because he kept pummeling me in the head uh, with critic because I was right next to whatever he was fighting and he kept critically failing. Oh, oh, yeah. oh dear. Yeah. So that was, that was a little bit of my first experience. But so, so when it comes to, when it comes to like, um, when it comes to like canonizing people's experience inside of, of the universe that you're building, is that like what, like when you're doing that, like, is that going to be, I guess I should take a step back. So with motherlands is the, or is that going to be like an enduring RPG universe that like a lot of people are going to be playing mm -hmm. in? Okay. That's awesome. Uh, and incredible. So, so now I have so many more questions. So you're, you're building, <laughs> you're, you're building, you're building, you know, cultures into this and you're building professions into this, which I love the, I love the intentional language selection there to, you know, to emphasize different things than what people traditionally see in D and D and, and to sort of mm -hmm. make it more like, you know, this is, this is the difference. It's just our culture. And so, so I, I like that. So, so what are you doing to canonize these experiences inside of that? And like, what does that, and I, I guess I want to ask you a lot of questions, but it might kind of give away your secret sauce. <laughs> so you might not be able to answer, but I'm, I am super curious about kind of crafting. How do you set up a world so that you can have random events happen in it? And then those things become canon without it, like degrading the integrity of that universe, I guess would 
Does that make sense? Um, it makes sense, but it's not so much degrading. So, for instance, sure. um, Christina Ariel played uh, Monsagene, which is our android race. So they, at some point, they were Musalians because they just named themselves Musalians after time went on. And she's more of an android. And her character basically gets an emotion chip and doesn't know how to act and how to deal with having emotions. And a lot of people, including myself, uh, understood that a lot. Like, how do you people? <laughs> and so we could say Masagene as androids, maybe that is something they do where they can elect to have this emotion chip, not have this emotion chip. Um, so I, I was thinking of kind of like data from Star Trek mm. where, when he got emotions and kind of went on the fritz. Um, yeah. I, and so there were, but there were so many good RP motions that came from it. Um, Cause my character is a high and all, which is a, a kind of not hybrid, but a anthropomorphic hyena, but the high and all are the people that are the smart ones. So we flipped that kind of idea of, when you think of a hyena, you think of like a savage creature, yeah. something that's going to attack you. And they are the smart ones. So we want to have this kind of, oh, if you need science, you need learning. You have to go to these hyenas, basically. And, you know, but my character also is bucking that trend of she likes to fight. She is a she has a sword and that is her thing that she does. So it's interesting because we we already flipped one stereotype on its head and then I just went entirely the opposite direction of I like to fight. I I I I absolutely love that writing. Like the uh the, the it's the really cool thing that you get to do when you're when you're building a world is you get to set expectations and then you can sort of adjust them and play with them and do the opposite of them and it's all and and it's such it's it's always it always ends up being such powerful storytelling inside of inside of D&D because you you get and this is something I didn't understand until I had played you get you get a really deep connection with your characters like you mm-hmm. you spend time. Um, and so after after our experience, I was like listening to some classes on writing and about how spending time trying to think like, oh, if I'm writing the story and I'm, I'm eight, I have to think about like, what was I like when I was eight? And there, there's mm-hmm. so then you get all of these memories that come back. And so uh, when you're, for me, that was very similar to my experience of, of playing my character. His, his name is Meat. Uh, he's a, a okay. uh, his name is a blue dragon kin, uh, drunken monk uh, master. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, everybody told me it was a bad okay. idea, so I thought I would try it because <laughs> they were like, "You're gonna die." But like, you know oh. what? Monks are ridiculous. Monks are so with D and D, it's very easy to die in those first five levels. Mm. And if you're starting at level one, basically anything can probably kill you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But a drunken master dragonborn is real interesting. Yeah, I thought I thought it was fun and and like because uh, it, it, everyone was like, no, you want to play these classes? And I was like, I'll even do this guy because then like I can have claws. Once I found out I could punch somebody with claws, I was like all in because I wanted to go for like the anime moment where you're like when you like punch the dude's heart out or something. Um, but like but so yeah. so like but <laughs> playing playing in that experience, I, I had it, it brought up other emotions and experiences in my life that I wouldn't have expected it to. And so, so like that character connection, when you're doing storytelling, it makes it really impactful for you personally, but it also increases the level of impact for the audience. And like all of this stuff that was, I had no idea um, how unbelievably 
powerful D&D was like as a storytelling method um, or tabletop mm-hmm. games as a storytelling method. Um, so to go, I guess, to go like a little bit further. So you, you've, so you're crafting this enduring RPG um, that's going to mm-hmm. have, I would, it's, it sounds like incredibly fascinating. And I need to, now I have like a, a project to something to watch, right? I'm really excited to learn um, more. So you're, you're working on all of that. You're also participating in a mm-hmm. whole bunch of other campaigns as well. And you're, you're running a not-for-profit. How, how do you manage your time? Is like a barely, (laughs) (laughs) barely. I I am the worst. I have become the person where if it's not on my Google calendar, it will slip my mind entirely. I I live by the calendar as well. So so you don't. There's no like. uh, You you don't have like. This is my system, and it's it's just kind of like make sure it makes it to the calendar, and I show up. Yeah, and then, you know, depending on what I'm doing, because um, someone really asked me, like, what's your day-to-day like? And I was like, it really depends. You know, like, this week is just back-to-back almost every day this week I've got. I Because I, I did the Xbox thing today. Um, I'm talking to you. I've got a game after this. Tomorrow, I've got, like, a 9 a.m. meeting. I've got an 11 a.m. thing outside of the house. And I've got a standing every other week 3 o'clock meeting for a project I'm on. And then su- Saturday and Sunday is now D&D both days. Uh, and some days I have no meetings and I try to like buckle down and, and do writing. And it's not like before where I could go to a cafe and kind of get out of the house. So I'm stuck in my living room 18 hours or 16 hours a day, if not more. Um, so I try like I'll put on a stream and if I'm not actively like a mod there, I'll just listen while I try to do stuff. Um, and I don't know if you've ever tried this, but I will sometimes get on a Zoom or a Discord call with people. And just hearing other people, it normalizes not sitting here by myself. Um, so it just depends on, like, if friends have... Because friends with day jobs but are remote working, it's like, if they can, we will just sit and just have Discord open and chat. It's like, are you talking to me? Oh, no, work. Okay, good. And I'll go back to what I'm doing. And we may play music or whatever. That's... That is... That has been a, a huge part of, like, the last year like human trying to trying to find ways to get human connection in life even though everything is like so Uh separated right now and it it, it's you know i like being by myself but every once in a while you just like want to see somebody smile at you or like hear their hear their voice because it's it's like so necessary for like what we need so so you so you spend time writing which makes me curious Mm -hmm. about like and and you mentioned like wanting to be an author. What who were your inspirations for writing? Like what sort of books did you find yourself? Have you found yourself gravitating to in your life? And like how do they inspire you? Oh boy, that's a huge um, question. If it's too know, big, I get it. <laughs> I know. No, no, I'm just trying to think because I was that nerd. Like I re- I read way more than I like watched TV or did anything as a kid. Mm. Um, but you know, I because I didn't read Octavia Butler until I was an adult. Um, you know, I read a lot of Stephen King. I read a I read, um, trying to think, because this is going to sound weird, because as much as I talk about making sure that we read black authors and POC authors, a lot of what I read as a young person was mostly like older white guys um, or like the quote unquote classics, you know, give me give me Animal Farm and leave me in a corner or the or uh, Greek tragedy. And I'm perfectly fine with Big Nerd. I was actually like in the Shakespeare club in high school. Um, but now as an adult, uh, definitely NK Jemison, who I am very glad to call a friend. 
uh, Nettie Kaur for Octavia Butler. You know, I wish I had known of her writing when she was still alive. Um, a lot of my friends, Amal Mohatar, who wrote uh, The Honey Month, which is a fantastic book. Uh, my friend, Michi Troda, who isn't an author of books, but she is a fantastic editor and has won a lot of Hugo Awards for her editing. Um, and it's it, as I'm thinking of names, I'm like, I've got to know these people. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting, like all the people that you read and, and find circumstance has led me to actually get to know them as, as friends and regular human beings. Um, you know, Sean McGuire, Gail Simone. That's, that's like you have, you like, that's amazing. I, 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 um, I don't read a lot, uh, that because I have a, a disability when it comes to reading. So it's, it'd be, it's like difficult for me, but like I, it's so fascinating to hear uh, like all of the different influences and the fact that you've been able to, because of the course of your life, become friends with, with these people that, that you've enjoyed their work. Did they, do you work with them directly with things that you're working on now? Is it like, is it, is it like, um, a, like a back and forth kind of thing? Uh, no, only with N.K. Jemisin, because Green Ronin is adapting her uh, trilogy into a tabletop game. So we are working on that. I'm one of the lead developers on that. But because of COVID, things have slowed down. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so it she gets final say in the book, and uh, we are still working on it. It just, because of COVID, everyone's life has taken drastic turns. Because it was supposed to actually be out last year, but things happen yeah i mean that's that i think that was everybody's experience in 2020 is like uh okay well i had to i have to change this or this is this obviously isn't working anymore so we have to do something that's like brand new or different or or i think the i think the hardest part is definitely like projects where you just you have to put it on pause and it's like indefinite you're like uh i don't i don't know when this is gonna start again or i don't know when i get to start this again because it's you know, we, we get used to planning and having the expectations of like, here's what's next. Um, yep. And, and when you take that away, then stability, it's, it's really rough. Did, um, so, so you're, you're, I, it's like every, every time I ask a question, you're like, oh, and I'm also working on this project. So you're, you're just, <laughs> it's this, like this, this integration into like all, all of these different parts of the space, which is like super fascinating. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, specifically because uh, about the New York time ad that you had, because there the tag was modern mythology. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was just like, I'm a huge fan of uh, like mythology. And that was a lot of, a lot of what, what interests me about human thought is the way that we think about the way that we exist. Uh, so that stood out to me like a super huge highlighter because it's I spend so much time thinking about it. So I, I was just really curious if you if you like like I didn't know if you had input on what they put out there or or if that was like. Mm. No, actually, I don't I don't think I had any input, but I I'm pretty sure that that is because of Motherlands mm. um, because, you know, we're creating this whole cloth. And the other thing about Motherlands is that, you know, unfortunately, RPGs are mired in a history of colonialism and they still have slavery in it as a backdrop. That does not exist in our world. And so we really want to see what people descended from Mansa Musa and, and black humans and other people that A, have now gone to a whole other world 
but have never dealt with colonialism and racism and slavery, what their lives would be like. Um, so I think that's kind of where the mythology thing may come from. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, that was like my assumption, I guess, like when we were, when, when we were talking, but I wanted to make sure because uh, you are, you are absolutely crafting like a, a new mythological construct with the game and you're, you're creating a world and, and you're illustrating an experience that is not the lived experience of, of all of us every day. It's a new way to, to think about, okay, well, like how different would everything be? What, how would this change the way that, that we communicate with each other? How would this change the way that we interact with each other um, without having all of this um, and having a completely different experience? So I, again, like, I think it's, it's super fascinating and I wish I would have had more time to like watch and catch <laughs> up on everything. Um, shifting gears a little bit, um, I would, I'd love to know about what it's like from like a nuts and bolts perspective to found like a not-for-profit company. A lot of paperwork, a lot of money. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm sorry if I'm I'm not going to give the glamorous answer. It's gonna, no, it's gonna I, be, I. This is. <laughs> please give the practical answer. I, I love it when folks are like, it's awful, like, or it's hard or whatever, because I think it's important to like set that standard that it's not just because it's important doesn't mean it's simple. Yeah. So at least for me, I live in Chicago and most states you have to incorporate as a not for profit in that state. And then based on what you're going to do, because I learned the hard way, there are many different levels of being a 501c3. Um, you can be a charity, you can be a foundation, you could be you can do all kinds. There's like 20 categories on the form. Um, but because we're small, I was actually able to do the the easy form there. So if you make under if you your revenue is under like 50,000 a year or you're relatively small, you can actually do the easy form. It's much cheaper and it's much faster. Uh, but also read your forms carefully and still have an attorney do it. Um, and then you can pay online. And we got an answer back in like two weeks. But we were a foundation when we meant to be a charity. So we are in the middle of fixing that because after four years of, of previous administration, I did not trust that it would get fixed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, Yes, we're trying to fix that, but we can also function as a not-for-profit in the capacity that we do. The thing with the foundation, they expect you to have money and give out money. Mm -hmm. That has never been us until like this year. Mm. Um, usually as a charity, you are, all your money is basically coming in and going right back out to do charitable acts. Yeah. Um, so that's where we're trying to get reclassed at. But there's also me, a few other people on our board, and everyone on our board has a full-time day job. So there's a lot of... Hey team. And I'm like, Oh, lol team. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you need to file your taxes, your 990 and, uh, you know, just keep very good financial records of what you're doing. Um, I just gave up and bought QuickBooks for the org and, uh, or getting an accountant because honestly you should have an accountant on your board anyway, to be your CFO. Um, and just think about it. But you know, a lot of people think I'll just be, I'll do a nonprofit. And it's like, it's not that simple. There's a lot of legal stuff you got to think about. How are we spending this money? Are we at zero dollars at the end of the year so we don't get penalized? But also, what's your mission? Why do you want to do this work? And we have a mission. We have a goal. And we're able to bring uh, people back to the industry or bring them in the industry. And so fiscal support is just one part of it. It's getting people access. Because I don't know how many people dig into the stats of the Game Developer Association 
But overall, there's just 10% are non-white dudes of all the people making video games and spend that way for the last few years. So if we want to get people in, we need to get them access. So part of that is also in the before times when we could hang out in person, mm. uh, getting we would get 25 passes to the Game Developers Conference. We would, we would meet and review applications. And for some people, they got their first jobs in the industry through the opportunity to just go to the conference. Um, so... It's paperwork, it's patience, and if you're in a position you're already doing the work, just not officially, you're looking at uh, a 30-page form and anywhere maybe up to a $1,200 fee before you talk to an attorney and waiting maybe months to a year, if not more. Oh, man. So, so getting... I, I love that... No, I you mentioned so many things that were just, like, popping out at me. Uh, you, It's such an important thing getting access you know the a lot of uh, and this is this has been my experience in the gaming space is it always seems to be like the people that you know and if and if people are not actively seeking out new perspective and if they're not actively seeking outside of like whatever is known to them uh you end up with a you end up with a really like stagnating work like work a a company like a group of worker worker Mm -hmm. group set the overall composition isn't great. Um, and especially when you're doing something that is creative, and I would argue any industry has to start somewhere creative and you don't include everyone, you're going to miss things. You're going to actually put oh, out yeah. something that is worse uh, than if you were to have included everything, every other perspective. It's like for, for every single reason that a business cares about, um, you should care about having more perspectives inside of your business. Um, so, so, you know, you mentioned the things that you've been, you've been doing previously with getting passes to events and things like that. If, uh, if someone's listening to this and they're, they're like a game studio and they're like, Oh my God. Yeah, totally. What, like, what is their next step working? Like, is it contacting you directly? If they were like, yes, like this is exactly what I needed to hear. And I, I've been, you know, looking for this. What's the, what's the path for them? Um, a lot of people just weirdly enough just hit me up on Twitter personally rather than uh, hitting up I Need Diverse Games. And we have a contact email. It's just indg at ineeddiversegames.org. And just here's what our game is. Here's what we're looking for. Because a lot of people either they wait really late in the process to get a, a consultant. Um, do this as you are in the early stages of planning, as you're doing your character concepts, as you're writing your script. And understand that investing in a consultant A's is an okay stopgap, but you really should have more people than just all the bros you went to college with working for you. Um, you know, and and think of diversity and inclusion not as a checkbox, because a lot of people think of it as I'm doing this so I don't get yelled at on the Internet versus it is a morally and financially thing, right thing to do. Um, because at the end of the day, when people see you churn out game after game with no inclusion, they're going to stop buying your game. You're going to go to someone who does put out a game with a female protagonist or has a black character that isn't a stereotype. And just think about it as, you know, mercenary as it is, it is a return on investment. And it's not a, we made one game, we checked our boxes and we're good, right? No, you need to do this all the time for everything you do. And hire talent and stop. The biggest thing is stop equating diversity with a lack of talent. Because a lot of people will go, well, I could hire diversity or I could hire well. No, you can do both. You can absolutely do both. I, I, uh, I have I have heard that before, and every time somebody mm-hmm. says that, I it 
it is very confusing to me uh, to to even bring up. Like, even linguistically, that sentence has a lot of problems built into it that you think that, like, if you honestly feel that way, like, so you're equating diversity with, like, you're not equivalent. There's no equivalency to quality of work. Like, you think that that for you're you're just checking a box. And so you're just going to, like, it speaks to your mindset as a hiring individual that you're just going to take whoever walks to the door, which is like, that's ridiculous. You should... Yeah, I mean, yeah. and and there's all this empirical data about, you know, just how your name is on your resume. If people putting their name and, and people ignoring their resume simply based on name, they don't even look at their credentials. They just go, oh, your name is Shaniqua. So I'm just going to put your resume at the bottom pile and not look at it. We're just going to reject you out of hand, not realizing that Shaniqua may have a PhD from Harvard. They just they got as far as that name and that's far as they went because of cultural bias and racism and systemic racism you know on paper i have what looks like a very white name and then when people see me or meet me they go oh okay sure i mean granted it's not hard to find me on the internet but you know on paper i'm sure a lot of what i've gotten to do is because my name passes that initial Mm. test um but also just the you know the idea of you know we're not serious or what people have been fed about minorities through news and other stuff. They don't think for themselves. They just go, well, the news told me or the internet told me. So it's true. And the disinformation that we've been subjected to for, you know, since the internet was a thing that has just gotten worse in the last five, six years. Um, so the main thing is they need to look at who's not in the room and why they're not in the room and be very intentional in their language. And they post hiring, uh, like when someone has a bunch of jobs for a game or something. And if I look at your studio and I don't see any people of color, for me, that is a flag of, if I get hired, am I going to be the diversity pity hire? Are you checking a box if you hire me versus what am I getting to do? Or if I get hired, am I going to be the one black friend on the committee to Mm -hmm. fix your mistakes because you don't want to pay for consultants? Additional, uh, yeah, is it going to be additional expected work? Like you're here. Yes. With no extra pay. You're here. You're the, you're the only black person in the room. So you are representing your every, your everything, everything's going through you. And it's not like they're going to pay more for all of that extra work and things like that. It's, it's, it is a huge problem. What? um, Oh, it's an absolute problem. So. So many, I have so many places that I want to go (laughs) from here. Um, I mean, depending on how much I can cuss, there's places I can go to. Swear as much as you want. We like to swear here. Uh, oh, great. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, so. So there's obviously there's, like, obviously the, the problem is there and and you are providing a pathway to create solutions to to teach people who are, you know, trying to you know, like all the things that you mentioned that should just be default understood if you go into business um to to bring in you know more people to give people more access what do you see over kind of i guess the next few years are there is there any like initiatives or locations that you're sort of thinking like oh i would like to focus on this or focus on that because it's a place that could yield real improvement or you know provide real uplift 
Um, I would love to do more work in the UK, but uh, there, there are groups doing this work all over. I'm not the only person doing it, um, but I would love to work with my colleagues in the UK more. I um, mean, also accessibility and disability advocacy, um, because a lot of people, you know, they just act like disabled gamers don't exist. Other, you know, if not for able gamers, the work they've done with Xbox and the, um, I always mess up the name of the controller, but the controller they made uh, for yeah, people Xbox who, adaptive you know, controller, yeah. Yes, thank you. It's like it's there. I can never remember the right name. Um, but if not for able gamers and the work they do, I mean also mental health things because we still struggle talking about mental health in a way that is not terrible. Or when game, I was actually just having a conversation with a friend about sanity mechanics in a game. Uh, we know Cthulhu did it. Other games did it, and it's like, could we not? <laughs> could we just get away from this? Because, you know, sanity or insanity is always an excuse for why a villain is a villain. That some terrible thing made them go insane, like the Joker, Harley Quinn, the whole of Arkham Asylum. And we can stop demonizing mental health issues, A, as a mechanic, and B, as a fault in a person. Because brain if your brain chemicals out of whack, that's not your fault as a person. It's not a moral failing. Not at all. <laughs> As uh yeah, I have I have out of whack brain chemicals uh myself. So that's uh ment mental health has been part of part of my journey um ever since childhood where I was, you know, I was definitely diagnosed um <clears throat> so I I have uh ADHD and I have some learning disabilities. And when I got diagnosed, it I got <laughs> I got shit on by teachers. Um, you know, learning was, learning was difficult for me and everybody was like, oh, well, you're just, you're just not trying enough. You have a problem. And I'm like, yeah, I have a problem. Mm -hmm. My problem is, is like, I have a less of a certain neuroprocessor, like connecting things in here and I can't, I can't fix that. Um, and there was, there was little to no adaptation to assist me in learning, um, when I was growing up. So I fell behind in a lot of subjects <clears throat> that I, you know, kind of have had to go back and revisit now that I am not a child and I was able to kind of teach myself um, and and have compassion and like relearn these things that I was told I was too stupid to learn. Um, but mm -hmm. it's um, it really is difficult when you you're playing a game or you're and you just you run up against something that has like a mental health edge to it and you're and it's just completely incorrect. Uh, you know, or like the the problem that they're representing isn't it doesn't feel honest to somebody who might be experiencing it. Um, and the idea of yeah, I, I love the way you put it. These people are bad because they're crazy. Right. Like you pointed out Arkham, Arkham Asylum. It's a great parallel. Like, you know, there there was so much, you know, you're you're either a good person or you're crazy and bad. It's for, you know, in the Batman universe and. For, you know, from a storytelling perspective and even up to now the the inclusion of the discussion of mental health i'm happy that it's starting to happen but i we need to find better ways to talk about it better ways to represent and have like good language so that way that we're talking about things the right way because words matter a lot um yeah so um actually i don't know if you've ever seen it or used it but I started adding, uh, and I stole it from a friend blatantly, uh, a command that says ableist or ableism. If someone like in chat says something like, oh, that's so crazy. And we're like, oh, we try not to do that here. Mm. Um, or when, I, and when I'm DMing, I'm like, you get disadvantaged because you said that. Um, <laughs> so 
and the and the terror of of a disadvantage has often worked wonders in correcting people's language um but it's it's hard i mean i fall into it myself and it's like i try to be better but it is unlearning yeah there's it's uh i think and if for me uh like that's the that's that's the part that i really want everyone to understand is that if if we're putting in the effort to learn we're going to make progress but we're never going to you know there's always going to be more progress to be made um and think and sometimes things change in ways you don't expect um uh, for for yeah and so you like having the adaptability to understand that like oh wow like i thought things were this way but they're this way so okay like i can change and i can learn and i can make things better instead of just instead of just putting a line down and saying like this is as much as i'll change and if anything goes beyond this line i refuse that's nonsense um like it's it's it is imperative as people like to understand that we need to change we're we're changing all the time whether or not we are in control of whatever that change might be so i'm i just yeah i really i really uh i resonate with a lot of the 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 mental health stuff and and trying to make sure those conversations are are better and i'll i yeah you you mentioned the word crazy and i was like i haven't been working on that one it's not uh that's not something that i have I have been focusing on and I probably should. So, so that was, that was helpful. I I wanted to sort of like step back into like the Xbox adaptive controller and like, and, and working with, come, come back thought. Uh, It might be gone. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Working with, you know, including, uh, including gamers, you know, no matter what sort of inter- uh, what sort of device they might need to interact with the game and making sure making sure that also like however information is presented it is presented in a way that everyone can absorb. So whether you're, you know, you're colorblind or you have you know you want to have like closed captioning options which are pretty much universal at this point. Um <clears throat> but even then like I don't know how many games I boot up and I the first thing that plays is a 10 minute cutscene, and I can't leave it without skipping it just to and I I just want to put the subtitles on because I want to know what everybody's saying. So it's like simple things like that. Yeah, or it kind of punishes you for like wanting to skip around or skipping things or or it's like so loud you're like. I I'm I'm scared now because this game just screamed at me for 15 minutes in the intro. Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been it's been uh, it's especially as a broadcaster, when everybody in chat is like yelling at you like, I can't like, what are they saying? Please turn it on. And you're like, I, I don't want to skip all of this stuff. Um, Totally aside, everything else. What is what is your favorite sci-fi universe? Ooh, um, I'm gonna go with Star Trek because I was uh, I was a huge fan of the original series, and seeing Uhura on that bridge was mind blowing for me as a kid. It's a good scene. I my my family, yeah, we were raised on Star Trek. Um, my dad was like a huge Trekkie. Uh, we had like nice. all the original all the original movies 
like uh like the i can't even imagine uh, remember how many times i watched the like the was it four with the whales like like yes. uh, oh my god yeah like i i was like oh my gosh like i i convinced myself as a kid that that was like actually gonna happen i was like we gotta make sure we take <laughs> care we have to protect these whales i was like super obsessed with that as i was like we need to protect the whales um i love star trek that's awesome. Have you watched uh, Discovery? I have not um, because free time is A, a luxury and B, sometimes money is also a luxury. Um, but I don't know about you, but I, I also try to stay unspoiled for things. But Internet culture makes that difficult because people will yes. live tweet things not realizing that if something comes on at 7 p.m. in U.S. time central, that means our U.K. friends, if they could watch it. It's one in the morning for them. So they're going to wake up in the middle of the night for us and be like, well, I guess there's no point in watching Star Trek. Here's a live tweet. I know everything that happened. Um, but also just time. And I, I want mm. to give something my full attention. Uh, right now I'm in that scattered. I'm kind of half listening to a thing while I work on stuff. And for something like Star Trek, that needs to be my all all devices that make noise and ping and yell at me are off. And this is my time. I I am. I am the same way when it like when it comes to something you care about, you need to like be in that place where you can set up to take it in because you like you like mm -hmm. that's like part of the experience is you get to shut everything else out and just like let you just get to enjoy the stories that are being told. And it's uh, it's funny because. You never really know what's going to grab you like that, I, I guess, as I've gotten as I've gotten older, I've identified the things that I need to treat that way. Because, you know, I would I would be like, oh, I'll just watch this thing. And then you're 30 minutes in. You have absolutely no idea what's going on. And you're like, oh, crap. And then you're rewatching it. And it like diminishes the experience. You're like, I, I have remembered this. And like, yeah, did I watched this whole episode. It's always a or you watch something trip. and you fall asleep. And then the next time you try to watch, you try to pick up where you left off. You're like, what did I watch? Where did I leave off? Uh, yeah, uh, the, I fall, Amy and I had a really, uh, tough stint last year where we kept falling asleep while we were watching shows. And then, you know, sometimes the stuff would autoplay. So we would just be like, oh, it's ready for us. We'd hit play and it's like three episodes ahead and a massive spoiler. And we're like, wait, what happened? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. 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 We like ruin shows for ourselves. It's, it's a, uh, you know, it's always fun. Um, Okay. So I, we've so we've covered we've covered a lot of ground, um, but I wanted to I wanted to first of all say congratulations because as I mentioned you 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 founded this not for profit and you won like a, a like I guess an inaugural award from Gamers Magazine uh, for your work is um, I guess on my side of things being being involved in the space for so long I. <laughs> I'm just so happy that there are organizations that are doing awards like that and and that are being inclusive of of the space and like recognizing the incredible diversity that we have because it's so important and it has been so lacking for such a long time. Um, and there's still obviously a lot of improvement, but it when um, when uh, during the I guess while I was doing all my research, getting ready for this uh to, to sit down and chat with you, you know, that you were nominated there. I believe you were also part of 
hosting it or like commentating? Yeah, um, there were a bunch of us that were like official co-hosts uh, through Twitch. Uh, a lot of a lot of the Rainbow Arcade members were there were co-hosts. So it was interesting, kind of like it just felt like there were a lot of us co-hosting. <laughs> and then, but then Twitch Gaming also showed it, and I'm like, nobody's going to come watch our streams. Twitch Gaming is showing it. Um, but it was interesting, and it was funny because my chat was very supportive. So I was nominated for LGBT Gamer of the Year, and also for uh, and also for the Industry Diversity Award. And they're like, "Oh, they're like, you know, fingers crossed." I'm like, "I'm not going to win the the Stream of the Year Award." I'm like, "I am," and, and and it's like it's a little cynical of me, but I'm like, that was a public vote, and it's a popularity contest. And I'm like, you know, and I I adore Deer. I'm very glad they won, but I'm like. I just had that kind of reality check for myself. I'm like, this was a this was a public vote. I was not going to win. I am not like the gym rat cis gay dude. I was not going to win. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah when it's when it's a popularity con like I have the I have a similar experience of being involved in something like being nominated and I was like I could win this and then you're like no uh, you know like there's like there's numbers and and like you don't have the biggest reach. But I, yeah, I just, for, so finding out that the gaming awards were happening um, and seeing all of the incredible creators that are sort of lined up there, because for me, one of the, um, one of the big, one of the big things that everybody always seems to say is like, I don't know where to find people. And uh, it's, yeah, which mm. like boils, which, which boils my blood. Um, and, uh, you know, I, from like an from like an execution mentality on my side of of the charity world like everybody always kept saying gamers only do awful stuff so i was like i'm going to make something that is so big and loud that if you if you say that ignorant crap um everyone's just going to hit you in the face with like this is what they do at gcx they raise all this money for saint jude and so please shut up and like let's let's have a yep. better conversation and so seeing everything that was happening with the gamer awards i was like Okay, like there are these things now that are out here where it's like you like you look like an idiot uh, if you don't, if you say things like that because there's so much visibility uh, attached to to that and it's it's a way to bring focus around the space, which I thought was incredible. Um, so that's yeah, I don't know. I just wanted yeah. I mean it, it was it was great and you know I don't know if you saw but some unfortunately someone in my own state is trying to do a Jack Thompson and outlaw violent video games. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, we've done this dance before. Please stop. That's yeah. Cause right now if we didn't have video games, I don't know what would happen to all these people in isolation. Well, every, everyone, you know, every, everyone plays games now. Like that's the, the, we, everyone has been stuck inside so long that they've at least downloaded a new game on their phone. They've tried out, a new type of gaming experience they maybe haven't had before for me. That was like D and D, um, you know, and, uh, I, Amy and I probably need to get through all the board games that we have. Um, so it's, it's like when you, when you see people who take that approach where they're like, Oh, it's violent video games. Like, I just want to support like just this side of the agenda. It becomes really frustrating because like you said, like we've been here before, there's all this proof that like, that's not, what we should be talking about right now. Um, and then you try and like, you try and legislate everything. Like, I don't know. It's just, uh, 
It reminds me of uh, it just it reminds me of like the uh, parental warning explicit content thing. Part of me feels like even if they they were to like push something through where it's like it ends up being a label, it would just make people want to buy it more. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, oh, don't buy this. It's super violent. Oh, uh, yeah. Like how violent, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> how bad is that? Um, yeah, that's uh Weird legislation is is part of my life since I live in Florida, so that's always that's always a good time. Mm. Uh, yeah, Florida's great. Uh, so, <laughs> so now I am looking to just like looking to the future of of sort of like charitable efforts, um, and and like you said, like you're you're trying to get everything set up so that you're a charity and things and things like that. What kind of um, I guess something that I've kind of been paying attention to lately is there are these new marketplaces popping up in like the cryptocurrency space where, you know, you can essentially take art or stories or like whatever you want and you can, you know, commoditize that online. Like uh, NBA Top Shot's doing that with all of the, you know, all the moments that they're doing right now. But something that I think is really interesting and and I feel like you're, you're building this whole world, um, it might be, an opportunity to take some of this incredible art and these stories that you're telling and just like you just put them out there and people who are part of the community. This is what I really like about it from a charitable sense. You purchase it and like, you know, you get to have that right. Like you have this token of your experience, but as whatever the project is grows, that original item increases in value. And then, you know, every time it gets transacted on later, part of the funds can go back to the charity. Um, oh. yeah, so there, yeah, so there's, it's, uh, depending on where you're listing these, that's like an attribution fee. So you, you can get anywhere from like 10 to 30% of the sale price, depending on where you list this stuff. Um, so that's something that, that I've been looking at lately. And a lot of what we do for St. Jude is, you know, like we're working with what they already have for something with like, you're making so much incredible content and you're building all of these incredibly unique worlds. It would be, um, you know, I just wanted to know if that was on your radar at all, if you were looking at, at doing anything like that. No, cause I usually just don't, I don't deal. I don't do a lot with cryptocurrency. Mm. Like I know it exists, mm. but that's as far as I've gotten. Um, I don't know because what we're trying to do, I don't know. I, I find it hard because I don't, Hmm. I don't want to <sighs> commodify is the word that's coming to mind, but I don't think it's the right word. I I don't want to put a resale tag on something we're creating in that sense. Yeah. And also there's also the, the not small legal part of we're trying to get everything trademarked and, mm. and copyrighted so if i just start selling pieces of right of this work and also i'm not the artist the artist would have to be okay with it and the artist mm. has put their work into the world that we're creating so it's also that kind of there's a lot of moving parts for something like motherlands if it was my own content if i want to say here use my emotes on a thing and you mm. can do that and then all the profits go to a charity of my choice that's one thing yeah but there's too many moving parts with something like motherlands yeah that makes sense yeah, I mean it's it's a really new space, and we're we're just um, you know I'm always trying to contend and find ways to. There's just so many ways to, I guess, get funds in the pockets of charities, and and especially with the way the internet has kind of changed things, um, 
there's starting to be really new ways to leverage creativity into and and sort of make that a direct pipeline instead of instead of the creativity sort of being like the middle person between like this is my cause that I care about here's a fun show donate to this cause instead it can just be like this straight pipeline like I love this charity and I can support it with the art but you're I mean yeah like even for us like we're still sort of working through all of like how that would even work on an accounting side uh, because like that can be yeah. a huge nightmare, uh, depending on like how the, how all the assets are working together and things like that. Um, thank you for that answer. That was, uh, that was, yeah, I just love talking to other people in this space about it because it's, <laughs> it's, it's an, it's a super interesting opportunity. And I, I think, I think there's something there on the fundraising side for all of us. And it's just sort of figuring out how to, how to like put it together the right way. Um, yeah. And, you know, at least for us as streamers, as content creators, mm. a lot of people don't know that Tiltify exists. I'm discovering. True. Um, <laughs> you know, or oh. a charity is smaller and they're, for whatever reason, they're not set up on Tiltify. They didn't know it existed. And there's always streamers that want to do things for like these unknown charities or smaller charities. Because, yes, we fundraise for St. Jude and Extra Life and other stuff. But there's like small orgs dedicated to black trans health or mutual aid funds, especially in the light of pandemic and people not being able to pay rent or bills, or they might get evicted if they can't come up with two months rent because their landlord's a jackass. Um, so, yeah, I, so it's, it's tough, right? Like we, we, um, we've been trying to sort of take all of this learning that we've had with, uh, with GCX and fundraising and trying to help other charities that want to get into the space because everyone kind of assumes that it's just like this really easy, like you push a button and then streamers are fundraising for you. Um, and there's all of, there's all of these mechanisms and there's all this technology and everything that's working behind it. Um, <clears throat> and there it's, it's amazing the, the level occasionally the level of resistance people have to like, signing up and saying, well, this is the tool that's going to help you in the space. And they're like, I don't like that. And you're like, well, this, this is what you got to do. Like, uh, there's, there's no other, there's no other options to, to get involved. Are there, are there, uh, are there groups out there that are trying to help these smaller charities that maybe don't have as big of a, like as big of a footprint or, or they're, or while they're growing to like get, to like get into the space the right way with those kind of tools that they have access to at Tiltify, you know, that like, I guess like the, I'm a, I'm thinking on the dev side, like the API and the things that are necessary. Um, I would know on the API side, I know a lot of, a lot of streamers are like, you know, based on the month, things like that. Like a lot of people, um, well, color changes and small, um, but like a friend that works with trans lifeline is trying to, you know, because as trans lifeline, they're the bigger org, but then a lot of people don't know that the Marsha P Johnson foundation even exists. So they're trying to like fundraise and then funnel some of that money to the Marsha P. Johnson Foundation or, you know, other things like that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So that, I no, I, that, yeah, yeah. No, I want to make a solution for that because it, the, the thing with fundraising yourself and then donating it is like it puts a weird tax burden on you sometimes. Yeah. And you and like and again, like the it's always worth it to do to do good. Um, but it's, it's something that I'd love to take, you know, you just take the weight off of, of individual broadcasters so that all the money is just getting straight to the charity. 
So yeah, maybe. Yeah. And as a, I don't know. Yeah, and as a best practice, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. A lot of people cost True. against it. Um, mm. So what I've told people if they want to fundraise and this charity is not on Tiltify is that make a Twitch command with their link because usually people have PayPal, they got something set up, and yeah. so you can track. And you can go, you know, or you say I'll match donations, and then you track mm. the donations people make during your streams because. When all that money filters through your PayPal, IRS is going to come knocking. <laughs> it's true. Uh, when even if it's all going to charity, they're going to be like, uh, "So, like, what happened to all this money? This seems uh, unique." One of the things, yeah. one of the, uh, one of the, uh, I guess we did this the first year we did the charity marathon for St. Jude. I didn't want to like bother them because I was like, "That's like a super important charity." So I just like uh, pulled their PayPal link. <laughs> from their website homepage and I put it in a stream labs and we tested to see if it would work and it did. So uh, we just like, that's how we started operating. And then like, cause that was the only way we could figure out to make alerts happen. So you're right. Like if they have a, if they have a PayPal link, you can kind of plug that in anywhere um, and the money will go there. And people got the right receipt too, which we loved. It, it yeah. said, you know, they donate and it says like, this is thank you for supporting St. Jude Alsac. We were like, Oh my God. We're evil geniuses. Uh, and <laughs> then we met Zach later and he was like, hey, so, you know, you could have like talked to us. Right. And I was like, I didn't want to waste your time because uh, we didn't know. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I believe and this is, you know, for for anybody, any charities that we work with or talk to, I, I always believe in proving value first. Because I think that that's incredibly important in the charity space. There's a lot of people who who operate you know, stuff that's ancillary to it and they do it in a, a very for-profit manner and they don't like to kind of openly share information about the way that they do things. Uh, and so I, I've always tried to make it a point to figure out how we can add value to, you know, whether it's St. Jude or, or any of the other charities that we talk to, even from like the first phone call, just so that they know like what the gaming space is actually like. So even if we don't end up, let's say, getting their getting their business and working together to sort of help design a program for them, they still, whenever they decide to come back, they have the information that they need. Yeah. And a lot of people just need to understand that when you're raising money, even if you're raising a dollar, that's, that's a more dollars than the charity had before you raised money for them. Yep. People get very stuck on, Oh, I'm, I'm a small streamer. I, I might just raise a hundred dollars. That's still a hundred dollars more than the charity had before you started. It's it's that is the that is like the biggest thing. And I really I would love everyone to realize that. Like if you're streaming and you don't think you have like a massive community and it won't be worth it. If everybody if every affiliate on Twitch raised a hundred dollars for charity, like that is an insane amount of money. And in, and I'm sure like so, so many one of the things I've been really focused on lately is trying to figure out how to get like local charities online because like people always have these big fundraising numbers. But like if you raise $200,000 for like uh, like a local homeless shelter or like a, a no kill animal shelter or like a food pantry or like whoever, that is their yearly budget as a charity. And in some cases, you might even be able to double their capacity and the number of people that they can help. Um, so getting like getting getting more access to to every charity is kind of like a, a big like benchmark that we have. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. 
I know you have. Uh, I I could talk to you all night. Um, <laughs> well, I can always come back. I would love that. Uh, I would love. I would love to come back, and we could we could drill into so many more topics. Uh, but th- as we're coming to the end, uh, you know, this is your time to sort of let everybody know in, any projects you're working on, anything that you you want them to check out with with immediacy. Uh, you know, whatever you've got going on, it's it's the floor is yours. Oh boy. Um, well, in about 20 minutes, I'll be over on Sirenscape's channel uh, doing a short run campaign of Cyberpunk Red uh, by Telsorian Games, and um, that we are that is episode five out of eight tonight. Um, Saturday on my channel, it's the last for sponsored D and D shows by Astro for Black History Month. That is two o'clock central. And then on Sundays uh, through April 4th. Rivals Waterdeep, which is d d It is official Watsi show. We are the only P- all-POC show that Watsi has right now. Uh, 12 p.m. Central on Rivals of Waterdeep's Twitch. And I think that's it that I can talk about. Everything else is under NDA. Um, and wow. then, you know, be on the lookout for Motherlands uh, on Kickstarter next month. That Kickstarter next month? Yes. Okay, so Kickstarter next month. Y'all are going to... Y'all are going to go... And you are going to like fund it in one day. Okay. Everyone who hears this needs to make that happen. Okay. I don't ever ask you for your money. (laughs) I don't ever ask you for anything podcast audience. Um, So, (laughs) so please that's yeah. I'm, I'm, I have, you have so much stuff going on. We should absolutely have you back on once your NDA projects or perhaps not NDA. And, and talk about those as well. I am, it, thank you so much for taking some time to to talk with all of us today. I I love everything that you're doing, um, and uh, it's been a it it's it's been really awesome to get a chance to to chat and see all of the the different ways that you approach creating what you create and um, and the passion that you have to to really make sure that everybody's doing it right bringing together the right people to make the right projects, to include everyone, to make sure that, you know, we always, you know, get our best, you know, that, that everyone. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's, you know, the one thing I want people to take away from this as they listen on the podcast version or, or watch the VOD later is that, you know, go, go find the people that you normally would never talk to. Go follow them on Twitter, see what they're talking about watch black creators on Twitch, on YouTube, on Facebook gaming, on wherever people are and realize that just because you see a brown face does not mean that that content is not for you. I talk about everything on my stream. It is not just, Oh, a black streamer. I guess I can't be here. Um, Cause as we wind down from black history month, there's been a lot of, Oh, well it's racist to have black history month. And I'm like, so you never read a history book in your life. Have you <laughs> or lived in the U S or anywhere else where there's racism? Um, and just realize that a lot of the creators that you may skip out on simply because you see a brown face or because maybe you assume things about their content or about them, you're messing on some really dope content. Go find people. And uh, I think through the end of the month, which is Sunday, when we're talking, uh, Twitch has a temporary team called Black History Month 2021. Go follow the 125 people that are on that team. And then you can't say, I can't find black people on Twitch because we're all there in one easy space. Not yeah. all of us, but many of us. That's a, that is a, I mean, it's a hundred, you said 120, it's 120 people that, that yep. like, again, again, it's, it's just more continuous, consistent proof that 
it's everywhere and it's easy to find and the you know the problem is you for not looking that's you know mm-hmm. that's yeah and, and that's and we're gonna do this next month in march and again in june with i can't find women on twitch i'm like yes you can as much as y'all complain about titty streamers you know where the women on twitch are. <laughs> i always love that we had talk, we talked about that yesterday on my stream i brought that up and I was like, I was like, it's always funny. They're like, oh, there's no women on Twitch. And I was like, but you complain about Titty Street like all the time, all of the time. So, you know, you, you, it's, yeah, I, again, we could talk all night. Thank you so much uh, for, <laughs> for joining me. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, the only thing I ever ask is that if you thought of somebody uh, or you really like what we were talking about, please share it with that person uh, that you thought about. Uh, the whole reason we do this is because I want want you to learn so thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for sharing with someone and if you want to rate or subscribe uh that's fine too thank you uh very much for listening and we will see you again soon goodbye everybody goodbye bye